Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus on Thursday the 22nd of July. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. Today I want to focus on a couple of issues locally around finances and in particular housing and insurance. Firstly, we have a lot of people in Wellington, a couple of thousand, who are actually living in council-provided social housing. This is a bit of a hangover from the pre-1984 reforms where, for decades, councils actually worked to provide uh, flats, particularly for pensioners and people who are disabled, uh, alongside uh, Housing New Zealand or um, Housing Corp, now called, of course, Kyanga Order. And over the years, some of those have been sold off or handed over to um, Kyanga Order, uh, Housing New Zealand. Uh, in Auckland, for example, um, John Banks, the mayor there uh, um, at the time, was keen to sell off the um, state housing assets. And at the last minute, a deal was done for uh, Housing New Zealand, the government, to take it over. But uh, councils um, up and down the country still have some uh, uh, council houses. And essentially, uh, they own those houses and rent them out, um, typically somewhere close to market rents. But we've got a real issue now in some places where rents have risen so high that many of the tenants are struggling to pay the rent. They're paying more than 40-50% of their disposable income in rent because benefits in particular haven't kept up with rental inflation. And unlike for Housing New Zealand or Kyanga Aura um, houses, uh, there is no income-related rent subsidy for council houses. So at the moment, if you're in a Kyanga Aura home, you normally don't pay more than 30% of your disposable income in rent. And then the gap between that and the market rent is made up for with a subsidy from the government. And that subsidy is now worth over $1.5 billion. It's available to Kyanga Aura tenants and to community housing provider tenants who've done a deal with the government. Uh, um, this was all set up under the previous um, John Key Bill English government. It was a real project of Bill English's. And the aim was eventually to um, you know, shift it all over to community housing providers and to provide a market-related, income-related rent subsidy from the government. A bit like accommodation supplement, uh, trying to solve the problem with a government subsidy for a private-provided service. Um, in the end, we're now in a halfway house where Kyanga Order gets the subsidy, so do the community housing providers, but the councils don't. And we now have a big squeeze developing with tenants, social tenants, and social housing tenants in council areas being squeezed the most. And the most extreme squeeze is in Wellington right now, where uh, the Wellington Council um, owns a whole bunch of flats. They've just, in fact, done a, a, a refurb of many of them. But the costs are really mounting now for the council. Um, it says that if it didn't have to pay all of the extra costs of these um, council houses, uh, then um, it would have a $6 million surplus rather than a $6 million deficit. And it's saying that over the years to come, it will have to push up rates significantly just to uh, catch up with this particular problem. So there's a debate going on, a, a contest, a negotiation between the council and the government. Now, at the, at the moment, the government is saying we can't pay the income-related rent subsidies for council. Uh, Megan Woods is quoted in a good article today from Ethan Taora in the Dominion Post. 
she's quoted as saying, you know, if we give the income-related rent subsidies to the council tenants, that's less that we have for other people. What she's essentially saying is there is a limit on the budget for income-related rent subsidies. However, um, that is not credible for a government which is about to reach surplus in the next year or two, despite what's happened during COVID, and actually has $40 billion in cash sitting in account in the Reserve Bank. So to cry poor on the issue of providing the basic human right of housing is just not acceptable for any government. And the squeeze is really starting to hurt not just social housing tenants in Wellington, but the council. And the one thing the government needs is to try and improve its relations with councils at the moment who are also under the pump for all sorts of other reasons. This will need to be resolved and soon. Um, and frankly, the way for the government to solve it in the short term is to just pay up and um, pay that check to the council to stabilise the issue while, of course, everyone is madly building houses, including uh, Housing New Zealand. I'd argue not enough, but it's trying to do that. Secondly, today, I want to talk about insurance. There's a big report out today from the Financial Markets Authority out this morning, which uh, has gone through the various disclosures from the insurance sector, particularly general and fire insurance, uh, after it found in 2019, when it had a quick look with the Reserve Bank, all sorts of problems, people being overcharged, um, people being um, sold the wrong policies, all sorts of um, shenanigans. Well, I had, I had another look, and frankly, not much has changed. Um, most of the insurers are still doing all sorts of things which they shouldn't be doing. And um, we've got quotes such as um, from the FMA that, um, you know, some insurers have done remediation policy, but there's going to have to be a whole bunch of them who make uh, um, remediation payments, i.e. discount um, paybacks to people um, and essentially because they've been overcharging for no claims bonuses that weren't being applied, overcharging on agreed premium amounts, multi-policy discounts not being applied, um, all sorts of um, taking the piss, frankly. And this is um, part of the story we've seen in many industries. After the deregulations in 1984, when businesses said they needed to be free to innovate and improve and provide better service and cut their costs, some of that happened. And then a whole bunch of other businesses took the piss, basically said, right, we can get away with this. And they did. And the insurance sector, which is now quite concentrated, uh, particularly because of IAG's um, takeover of various companies, as more than 60% of the general insurance market. Although, to be fair, in this report, IAG is singled out as one of the companies that has improved its act significantly since 2019. The rest are still um, not really doing what they should be doing. They're not treating their customers well. Now, all of this is part of an ongoing process to reform the laws to, shock horror, re-regulate bankers and insurers. We have the Financial Markets Conduct of Institutions Amendment Bill going through. It's going through its second reading and in theory should be in there before the end of this year, which would allow the FMA to start um, applying some sanctions, potentially taking licenses off people, that sort of thing. Fair enough. Uh, at the moment, the FMA can do not much more than wag its fingers seriously and start to name and shame. Um, it's taken them a couple of years to start naming and shaming, 
and they haven't really done it in the headlines. So worth having a look at that report if you're having some problems with your insurer at the moment and wonder whether you've been overcharged or not been given the discounts you need. Okay, that was the Dawn Chorus for today on a couple of issues. Just briefly before I go, uh, big news in the world uh, overnight um, for those who cover follow interest rates. Uh, again, uh, international markets are starting to dial back their expectations of rate hikes in New Zealand. That's because in the rest of the world, no one's talking about rate hikes right now. The surges of Delta variants, slowdowns in economies, further restrictions in travel, um, delays in getting back to, quote, normal, particularly in travel between countries, is really starting to make people think, hmm, actually, maybe we don't have an inflation problem. Most people in New Zealand um, are still expecting big increases in the in interest rates. Again, I'd caution that you may not see as, that as fast or as high as a lot of other people are saying, and that's what financial markets are starting to signal in wholesale markets for the um, swaps market, the one, two-year swaps, which is what fixed mortgage rates are based on, you're seeing a slight dial back. And in those um, uh, OIS swaps markets, you don't need to know too much about this, I do, but it means that um, financial markets now see a 68% chance of a rate hike next month. Now that's down from an 86% chance they saw a week ago. So it shows you that markets are dialing back their expectations of rate hikes. And in Australia, there was a call yesterday from Bill Evans, the, the Westpac economist who's watched very closely. He said that the Reserve Bank, instead of dialing down its money printing from $5 billion to $4 billion Australian a week, it should be dialing it up to $6 billion a week because Australia's economy has really taken a hit in the last couple of weeks with the New South Wales outbreaks. And just, just something you probably haven't heard of or you, I think is important to know, Essentially, the New South Wales construction se sector was shut down completely at the start of the week. In theory, it's going to be closed for a couple of weeks. And for every week that it's shut, that's $1.5 billion worth of activity that doesn't happen. There's about um, 250,000 workers who are not working, Some of them, many of them not being paid uh, in Australia. Um, this is the first time in Australia they've shut down their construction sector. We didn't actually do that. Um, in uh, we we shut we shut ours down through our lockdowns and it was only I think in level three or two when it reopened. Whereas in Australia, their lockdowns they have left their construction sector going, and the fact that New South Wales shut it down at the beginning of this week tells you how serious it is over there, and also the impact on the economy. Another thing to know about Australia, I mean, if you think of our vaccination program is going slowly and being criticised in Australia. They have a real problem in that they have they bet the farm, so to speak, on AstraZeneca. Not completely. They're now rolling out Pfizer as well. But um, to give you an idea of how much of a problem the initial reliance on AstraZeneca is, in one particular uh, vaccination station in New South Wales and Sydney yesterday, there were uh, attempts to offer both Pfizer and AstraZeneca to people. Remember, people under the age of S or over the age of sixty can't have AstraZeneca, and people under the age of forty can't in Australia. Um, there were eight thousand two hundred ninety-five Pfizer uh, shots administered at this one place, the Sydney Olympic Park vaccination station. Only fifty AstraZeneca 
um, vaccines. A whole bunch of people are refusing to take the AstraZeneca vaccine in Australia. That's going to slow down their vaccination program, increase the risks of further Delta variant outbreaks, and just reinforces the message that the pandemic is far from over. And uh, for those who are thinking, you know, well, we're all back on track, inflation is roaring, interest rates are about to rise, just have another think about that and start to read what's going on in the rest of the world. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a slightly extended um, dawn chorus for the 22nd of July, Thursday, for the Kaka.